0: Hello, episode 72. I know I said we weren't coming back until March, and it's not March, and we're still coming back in March, but this is a bonus because I just couldn't say nothing. Today, I'm talking with Jessica Setnick about the new AAP guidelines. I'm gonna get this, American Association of Pediatrics. They put out new guidelines in January, and they're just ridiculous. Basically, what the guidelines are talking about are toward kids and adolescents, so children and adolescents who the medical community has deemed obese, whatever that means, however they determine it, whatever. So a couple of pieces of their guidelines are if a kid meets criteria for obesity, again, whatever that means, by the age of two, already recommending Behavioral changes, nutritional changes, i.e. putting the kid on a diet, we're talking about two-year-olds here, and uh, recommending, or at least having the conversation about weight loss medications by the age of 12, and referrals for weight loss surgery at the age of 13. I mean, in this community and doing the work that I'm doing, it is utterly insane, but here to break down why that is and all of the things attached to it. The nuances involved is Jessica Setnick. So you know her from episode thirty. You know her as the boot camp person. You just know her. She's Jessica Setnick. She's worked in the eating disorder field for like twenty five years. And I sort of see her as our advocate. She is the person who takes a stance about things that matter to us in the eating disorder treatment community So she has her eating disorder boot camp. She does workshops. she does talks. She does podcasts like this one. She has her Eating Disorder Pocket Guide. I'll put a link to her website so you can check all this out. She also started an organization. She'll talk a tad about it at the end. She started a professional organization for eating disorder dietitians, and she advocates for legislation to improve access to care. So I'm excited to share this conversation because I think that when we have all of these guidelines put out by different associations, whether it's a medical community, pediatric community nutrition or the dietetic community, we really have to take it with a grain of salt. We have to take several steps back and understand if we even agree with them. And for just for us to become more educated consumers, we say this often in the podcast that's following this, but we often see doctors as this authority figure and that if the doctor says something, then it must be true and I must change something. And we often feel really, really terrible about ourselves, especially when it comes to weight. So, listen to this episode. See what you think. Neither of us are telling us are telling you what to think. But I think that it that's it's important for us to start to think a little bit more independently. I still love doctors. I just think that when the academy puts out these guidelines, we really do have to think a little bit more deeply for ourselves. So here's the conversation, and let me know what you think. And I'm hoping you have a reaction to this because it's not a small deal. If this is something that you do have a reaction, share it, share it with your friends, share it with me, share it on social media. I don't know. Start the conversation. Continue the conversation. Please just have the conversation. I'm excited to hang out again. I'm not excited about what we're talking about. This is absolutely ridiculous, but definitely needs to be talked about. So thanks for joining us again, Jessica. Of course. So the AAP, which is the American Academy for of Pediatricians. Academy of Pediatrics. Of Pediatrics. Okay. They put out their guideline for 2023. And we're going to talk about that. There was some stuff in there. Okay. But maybe just to take a step back, what are the guidelines? What's been said in the past? And we'll sort of like pivot into what's the outrage now?
1: Well, there was in, let's see, I'm not sure which year the American Academy of Pediatrics came out and basically said pediatricians, if you're not talking about BMI with your patients and their parents, then you are basically dooming everyone to be fat. You need to talk about this and you need to obsess about it. And then in 2016, they came out with a guideline that said, okay, stop doing that. That's causing eating disorders. Stop having weight-centric conversations with children and their parents. And then this past week, they came out with A new update, which sort of doubles down on the old information, which is single out children based on their size. And those children need to have even more significant intervention than ever before, including the possibilities of diet, drugs, and weight loss surgery. And so that is what the outrage is about because anyone who works in the eating disorder field at all, and probably many humans know multiple people, if not themselves, that have had failed weight loss interventions when they were children that then resulted in bigger problems. And by failed, I mean that the weight loss intervention failed the person, not that the person failed the weight loss intervention.
0: So let's take a step back because I do like to, you know, try to see what other people's perspectives might be. Okay. What would make them put out maybe not these sort of drastic guidelines, but
1: where are they coming from? Okay. Well, the first thing is that I can't speak for the American Academy of Pediatrics and why they decided to put out these guidelines, or even if any pediatricians read them or follow them, because I know that my professional organization, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics puts out guidelines that I think are ridiculous. And as a dietitian, I am under no obligation to follow them. So I know that there are plenty of pediatricians that won't be following these guidelines. But I suspect that part of what they are meant to do is train future upcoming pediatricians. And so those people will actually be trained in this model, I think. Um, as far as why, you know, the backstory, I think that a lot of it is actually, um, it's, it's profit-driven. There are lots of people who make lots of money based on stigmatizing people who are bigger and trying to solve them or fix them of their bigness problem, which for many people is not a problem at all if it weren't for weight stigma in the world. And there's a lot of profit to be had there. And the authors of this document, um, people who are not me, but I can specifically mention Reagan Chastain of Dances with Fat, had done a lot of research into the background of the people who wrote this guideline and all of them have received money from either big pharma-related diet drugs or other things that are mentioned in the guidelines um, that will then lead to profit for those companies.
0: Ugh. So even even if they're basing this on conducted research, it's not necessarily all use the word clean research. It sort of reminds me of like, oh, that's interesting. yeah, yeah. it reminds me of a history with cigarettes and I don't know, even like Coca-cola or whatever companies it's just not it's not accurate
1: no, I totally agree with that. It's biased in terms of how it's funded and things like that. but also, and again, I, I read a long article by Reagan Chastain I want to give credit where credit is due where, she debunked a lot of the research studies that sort of like where it looks like a lot of reference actually like the same study, just different segments of it or referenced multiple times. And none of the studies that say that weight loss drugs are appropriate were really done with the populations or the ages that were um, recommended in the guidelines. Sometimes they had terrible outcomes and they're still recommended. Sometimes they have no long-term outcomes and they were still recommended. So even if you look at all the backing studies, which Almost no one ever does, right? But even if you look at the original research, it doesn't support what the conclusions are.
0: So uh, that's so scary. We're talking about guidelines and people are not necessarily privy to the backstory of how these guidelines came about. And especially for pediatricians who are recommending to their patients and their patient's parents, this is something that's going to change someone's life and could potentially be extremely harmful. And it's not even based on science.
1: Oh, no, definitely not. It's based on weight stigma. But what's ironic is that they talk about how it's supposed to prevent weight stigma by somehow reducing people's size reduces their weight stigma that they experience, which is totally wrong. Weight stigma is the (laughs) idea that people are judged based on their size. So if you look at this guideline, you know, key action statement one is to calculate BMI for children and to screen them for their size. We know BMI is a ridiculous way of screening or identifying people. It's just nonsense. And so that's the first step of all their steps is already like single people out based on their size. So how can they say that's not weight stigma? Like it doesn't even make sense.
0: Yeah, that actually is what, weight stigma is so maybe they have some definitions to learn but it's so interesting so i've been talking to some people and just listening to different people on all sides of the argument um i do think that it's not necessarily as black and white as we make it out to be but some of what i've been hearing is that some of the perhaps you know either the doctors or the people who agree with whatever the do- the guidelines are even if they don't agree 100% a lot of what they're saying especially in the beginning is to use weight as I guess a red flag to do further testing just to see if their liver functions are okay and all different other testing. Which I think if the testing is not harmful, then we do. I I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing to do further testing if there or if there is research to show that there's a correlation. I think when we jump to there's a but let me pause you right there. Yeah, go ahead.
1: All of that testing is appropriate. It's appropriate to test a child's blood glucose. It's appropriate to test a child's blood pressure. All childs, all children, not just singling out the bigger ones. If a child has a medical problem, they should be treated for that medical problem after trying to identify what is the cause of that problem. And... Not just singled out. That's the thing is that it's very unclear, even though the guidelines in the 100-page document that probably very few people will ever read, it does talk about some of the social determinants of health. The key guidelines, the organization's own key guidelines barely notice that, right? I mean, they say treat children and adolescents following principles of the medical home and chronic care model using a family-centered and non-stigmatizing approach, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah.
0: What well, what did that mean?
1: They're trying to say like the first step should be to help big kids become less big by using good methods. But the problem is making big kids less big is not a good option. So there are no good methods to make big kids less big, right? Some big kids are just meant to be big. And some big kids are big because they have an underlying medical condition. And some big kids are big because they have an underlying eating disorder. And the key is not to just single out the big kids. Any kid with an eating disorder should be evaluated. Any kid with a medical condition should be evaluated. So how can you say you're not separating or segregating or stigmatizing big kids if your whole guideline is only about big kids?
0: Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. I, I think that, I mean, I'm hoping that the doctors have a little bit more nuance and individualized care with their patients.
1: I think so. I think individual doctors are probably laughing at this. And I wish there was you know, a response from pediatricians as a group, but individual pediatricians that I know through my work in the eating disorder field have absolutely come out against this and said, no, this is, we do not stand for anything that's in this guideline.
0: Okay. Well, that's reassuring to hear. So the, the question is, if they're not necessarily doing these extensive testing on everybody, because there's no reason to... Then the only thing that I would be okay with taking from this is if you're going to take anything, any information from a kid being in a larger body and you're concerned about it, then do some testing and see if there's anything to be concerned about. And if not, not. But if there is something to be concerned about, like you said, to address the medical condition as opposed to the size, because the size isn't an issue, maybe it's a piece of information.
1: changing the child's size, shrinking children doesn't change all their medical conditions. <laughs> Ever, that's yes. the irony. That's the irony is that yes. if a child has high cholesterol and you shrink them, there's no guarantee that they don't still have high cholesterol. So yeah. why did you have to shrink them? Why couldn't you just treat their high cholesterol?
0: Yes, and then perhaps adding additional problems if you're gonna put them on any form of medication or I mean, surgery, definitely you're just exhausted. Oh, well,
1: that's ridiculous. But the the biggest issue to me is this idea of shrinking children. I mean, I'm thinking of my nephew who, when he was probably 18 months old, I mean, they had to clean in between his rolls of fat with a Q-tip because he was like (laughs) the Michelin man, okay? Oh my (laughs) God, that's so adorable. His little folds, so adorable, right? And if he had been under these guidelines and told to shrink, right? Who knows what would happened to him? He's now six foot seven, no lie. And I live a perfectly happy, healthy life. But had he been, his parents been told to shrink him when he was little, oh, he's too fat. He needs to, you know, become a smaller kid. He can't have rolls of fat. That's bad for him. He's obese. I mean, he wouldn't have had enough nutrients to grow. It's not appropriate. There's just yeah. nothing okay about it. And we have tons of stories of people who have been told to shrink their kids and have followed up on that. And then you have this lifelong problem. So yes, tell yeah. your story.
0: Yeah. Well, just as an addendum to that, how many people do we see? I mean, almost 100% of people say I was put on a diet when I was eight years old and here I am having an eating disorder in your office. I mean, that's sort of how right. it starts. Not exactly. That that's the only exactly reason. what I
1: meant. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. So it's very interesting. But so absolutely. I went to the pediatrician with my son a couple weeks ago, or however long ago it was, and he's two and he's in the 96th percentile for weight. He a big kid. And the doctor said something like, okay, let's switch him to low fat milk and, and cutting carbs and exercise. And I looked at him and I was like, what, what exactly would that look like? Can you tell me in my two-year-old to, I should go Sign him up for the gym. Like, you know, he sort of laughed and realized what he said was utter nonsense, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I challenged that, but he's saying this and then he's saying this to so many other parents and they will switch their kids' food. And this is a two year old. I mean.
1: Oh, it's such malpractice to cut carbs. What does that even mean? And my yeah. new motto, <laughs> you know, ever since my husband's doctor called and said he had high cholesterol, so he needed to Whatever he said, eat less meat and eat more fruit and vegetables. And I was on speakerphone because my husband is very not medical, and so I am party to all of his medical conversations. I said to his doctor, "I'm sorry, I think it's time for medication because his wife is a dietitian, and this is as good as it gets." Like we eat in our home, whatever this doctor was implying. What I wanted to say is, you have no idea what my husband eats. If you haven't done a nutrition yeah. assessment, you shouldn't be giving nutrition recommendations. But I just. I just sort of took the shortcut path to it's time for medicine. Because yeah. that's the truth. I love that you said that. I think that so much of what
0: the recommendations are whether you go to a nutritionist or an actual dietitian that doesn't specialize in eating disorders or a doctor that's not a dietitian, there's so much advice being given without actually asking what's going on. So, yes. you know, if this person is is eating, I don't know, in a way that's not nutritious for their body, then that's a conversation to have and you have to ask first. But what if this person is eating totally fine?
1: Right. And there's nowhere in the 13 key action steps that that's listed. It is in the 100-page document where it talks about dietitians somewhere in there. But again, in their own summary statements, it's never said. And that's where I have this huge problem is that with the the press release and the 13 key action steps, they've got this 100-page document where they can look back and say, oh, but we said blah, 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 do this, do this, do this. In their own summaries, they never say any of those things. And that's where I find it very, very suspicious is that you buried all of these things that are might actually be helpful in your word salad. Like they actually said that racism can be a factor in weight and all kinds of different things, but they bury that in the word salad and then the pieces that they release to the press, which you would think would have their most important key pieces, right? If they're going to call it 13 key action steps, if that's the name of what they send out, then you would think those would be the key action steps if that's what it's called. But instead, those are the things that focus on weight loss drugs and focus on potential surgery. Um, And that's where I find it really ironic because they don't even have good backing for it. They even write on here that they're, they sort of have these research criteria for evaluating research and they give it a C, but they still put it in their top 13 recommendations instead of refer someone to a dietitian to have an evaluation for what they are eating and then have a dietitian make recommendations and then follow up with them. I mean, everyone with any sense knows that that's what you should do. But I agree with you when you're talking about, you know, having sort of the, the speak truth to power kind of conversation when you're looking at a doctor as an authority figure. And I remember when Selena, my office manager, had a baby and came in and said that the doctor said that Mia was at the 85th percentile on the growth chart. This is as an infant. And she said, so does that mean I should be feeding her 15% more milk? That doesn't make any sense. But she left a doctor's office, not understanding what it meant when a doctor said her child was at the 85th percentile, right? The doctor might've been saying, this is bad. This, you know, she didn't know, she had no idea. And that's where, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about someone who is an authority figure, it's hard, even as an intelligent, educated person to say, I don't understand what you mean, or are you saying this, or how should we proceed? Or shouldn't you have perhaps asked me this question first? And I think I'm going to make a list of things to say. Um, I was, sort of daydreaming about it the other day. And I think I'm going to write an article about it with you know, with tips and put it on my social media. But something like, um, are you saying that my child has a medical condition? Or are you saying that my child is bigger than you think they should be? For a parent to be able to have the confidence to say, does my child have a medical condition? Or are you just saying my child is too big? Because if it's a medical condition, then we'd like to get treatment for that medical condition independent of their size. If you're just saying that their size is a problem, that's not a conversation I'm willing to have.
0: Yeah, which like you said, is so tricky because the doctor is seen as this authority figure. They know something I don't know. And of course,
1: that's the way we were all raised. That's why there's white coat hypertension. That's why that's even a thing because it's very stressful to feel like you don't have a voice when you go into you know an appointment like that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I also think that there's something with pediatrics. These are kids, especially if they're the first kid in a family, the parents don't necessarily know anything about this new age and they're really looking to their pediatrician for information. And if they're getting this kind of information, then how do they know anything different?
1: Of course. And I think that there are lots of factors that are you know, impinging on pediatricians too. They may not have as much time as they want with each person. I mean, there's so much that is you know, also about sort of the medical industrial complex and and not so much about individual care, but that's where this comes in and is really, really upsetting because it doesn't say anything about individual care. It doesn't say evaluate within the context of your community or within the context of the cultural heritage of the individual that you're talking with. It doesn't say evaluate in the context of Is this a child who, throughout the care with you, has always been a larger child, or is this a child who suddenly has changed in size on their growth chart? And that's where it doesn't say anything about that. It just simply says big is big, big is bad, big must be shrunk, and through any means necessary, basically. And with no real backing about how bad the complications can be if something goes wrong, it's not the whole story. Is there evidence?
0: I mean, we know that it's a terrible situation if anybody goes down that route, but do you actually know or do we know what happens or what could happen besides for an eating disorder, which is obviously a huge deal?
1: Well, sure. If someone has surgery that changes their stomach, right? I mean, we used to think of that as a terrible thing. When I was an intern, a dietetic intern, And I had to start seeing patients by myself. I was told to go do a consultation with a patient who, because of having stomach cancer, had to have the stomach removed. That was a terrible thing. It was like I had to tell this person for the rest of your life, eating is going to be terrible. You used to have a pouch that churned up your food and broke it into smaller pieces so that when it went into your intestines, it didn't make you sick, but you don't have that anymore. So you're probably going to have explosive diarrhea. Every time you eat, you're going to malabsorb a lot of nutrients and your hair might fall out and a lot of bad things are going to happen. Oh, by the way, you have five minutes before it's time to leave the hospital. Like that was considered (laughs) terrible news to give to someone. And now that's the surgery that is done on purpose to many people. The purpose is to cause malnutrition. The purpose is to cause dumping syndrome, which basically means diarrhea immediately after eating. I mean, the purpose is to limit someone's ability to nourish themselves. And so if that's the purpose, I mean, it's basically like wiring someone's jaw shut and only letting in a few sips of a milkshake, you know, it's, it's not something that you should be looking forward to. It's a terrible surgery. All, some of these surgeries are worse than others, depending on how much of the stomach they cut out, but their purpose is to cause malnutrition. That's not even a side effect. That's the goal. And so (laughs) when you're talking about an adult, right, an adult might lose their hair, might have osteoporosis. But a child, a child will have stunted growth. A child will not actually grow to their full potential. They may have cognitive deficits because they can't think to their full potential because they're not getting nourished. I mean, it's appalling what could happen in these surgeries. Most of them are permanent. They cannot be reversed. And so, yes, the complications are terrible. And P.S., I haven't even mentioned the fact that if your goal is to shrink someone's body, they don't even work. Yeah. And then most of that weight is then regained. The the malnutrition stays, but the shrinkage of the body does not is not permanent. And so that's where I think a lot of people, even adults, are being misled now. I mean, the people on the billboards are are people who, you know, have not experienced complications yet, perhaps. But I've even been told by someone in Dallas, who knows someone on one of the billboards that that person is having terrible complications and they want their picture taken off the billboard, but they agreed that their picture could be on the billboard. So it's that kind of thing. The surgeries are absolutely terrible when it comes to the medications. That's just unknown. And the truth is, again, if you have a medical condition and you have to take a medicine for it, there may be side effects and your doctor should monitor you for that. But in our culture with the weight stigma, the way it is, There is this message of, well, a lot of side effects can be tolerated as long as the medicine is making you shrink. Mm. So, whereas if, let's say, you took an acne medication and it made you depressed and suicidal, your doctor would say, oh, let's pull that acne medication. No, 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 no. Let's try something else. But if you're on, let's say, a weight loss medication, finger quotes around weight loss, and it makes you suicidal and depressed, well, you're suicidal and depressed because of your size. But when you lose the weight, you'll feel so much better, right? Does that really happen? Oh my God. Of Of course, of course, of course, because everything bad is equated with size. And so it's terrible. And so, no, we don't know the side effects, but what we do know is there is no medication that has been showed to provide long-term shrinking. All of these medications, you either have to be on them forever, regardless of the bad side effects, if you want to keep shrinking. And that is good for profits, of course. And, or the other option is you stop taking a medicine and the shrinking goes away. And sometimes there's weight regain beyond what was lost. And, you know, like I said, no shame in being big, but there's no point in saying this is an intervention designed to make someone smaller if it actually makes someone bigger later.
0: Yeah, well, so then they're not even promising what they've promised, even if what they've promised is harmful. (laughs)
1: Correct. Correct. It's harmful and ineffective. That's why everyone's so upset about this is that it's harmful and ineffective. Nobody has a successful method for shrinking big kids because maybe big kids don't need to be shrunk, but that's considered irrelevant here because the whole underlying premise that I think doesn't even need to be stated because it's so obvious to them is that big kids need to be shrunk, period. And then they go on to say that big kids need to be shrunk so that they don't experience weight stigma, which is laughable. And then they go on to say big kids need to be shrunk in the following ways, which are also harmful and unaffected. So it's like there's nothing good about these guidelines. And like I said, the best possible outcome is that pediatricians actually don't care and don't follow them. And that's sad for guidelines, that the best outcome is that nobody follows them. But ugh.
0: When the medical community talks about this, quote, obesity epidemic or whatever they call it, and they're talking about medical complications associated with obesity, that's I'm assuming that's sort of what they mean. What are those? Like, what are the things that we actually should be concerned about?
1: So therein lies the problem is that no one has identified any medical complications of obesity. I'm using finger quotes, quoting you, um, quoting them, that Are exclusive to bigger people, right? Bigger people can have joint problems, smaller people can have joint problems, bigger people can have diabetes, smaller people can have diabetes. So basically it's stigmatized. That is the weight stigma, Mm -hmm. is that it is stigmatized when it's a bigger person. And these are very common myths that you know, diabetes is caused by weight. And it is just not the case. There's lots of slender people with diabetes. And so there is no complication of being bigger with the exception of weight stigma. You are more likely to get worse medical care if you are bigger because any medical, any symptom, I should say, that you come forward with is going to be blamed on your weight. And sadly, I had a patient who died because of that. He had lots of symptoms. He was told, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And then at some point went in for surgery on something and Was riddled with cancer inside, and no one had ever identified it because no one, none of his doctors ever heard or saw anything besides his size, and never said anything besides "you need to lose weight, your symptoms will go away if you lose weight." And that is not a unique story. There are stories like that on the internet that you can find if you're interested. There's lots of people who have actually died because no one was listening to their symptoms because of their size. So the only risk identified with being a bigger person is actually that you get worse medical care. And so is it possible that all of the things that we equate with medical complications of weight are actually the medical complications of bad medical care? And those are the same reasons why lots of people don't go get medical care because they don't want to be harped on about their weight anymore or told that it's all in your mind or blah, blah, blah. And in addition to that, the complications of weight stigma. In other words, the complications of not being able to ride on a roller coaster or fit in an airplane seat comfortably or being ridiculed, not being able to find comfortable clothing. The effects of that are stress. And the effects of stress, of course, can be the same things that are blamed on weight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. But these are really stress-related illnesses, not weight-related illnesses.
0: Okay, so let me throw a question out to you that I've heard so many times. This is not coming directly from me, but what about and the answer could be that's not actually true. But okay, what about the people who do end up losing weight? Whatever happens later, and their medical complications, whatever they are, go away because and people say that's because they lost weight, and therefore there's validity to this argument.
1: So in some cases, some might lose weight, and some of their situation might, let's say, ameliorate. It might be better. Maybe they don't need as much diabetes medication or something like that. There are two problems with that. One is it's not sustainable. So if they gain the weight back, then we haven't really solved anything. And the second thing is they don't not have diabetes. It just has to be managed differently. In other words, it's kind of like ADHD. Like If you say, I lost weight and my ADHD is better, now I'm able to concentrate better. Well, A, That's not a good outcome because if the weight's coming back, we know the problem's going to recur, but also you don't really not have ADHD anymore. These are chronic conditions. You can't have diabetes and then not have it anymore. That's the way people make it sound like it cured my diabetes, but it's also possible that some of the reason that people feel like these things are cured is because of the results of starvation. Starving people don't have diabetes. Starving people don't have high blood pressure. Starving people don't have high cholesterol, except... Starving people sometimes do have high cholesterol because their cholesterol, their body makes more cholesterol and they're starving. So, But it may seem that they've been cured of this so-called illness, but they're not cured of anything. It's just sort of temporarily masked by the results of starvation. Now, I am not going to tell you that some people are not bigger than maybe their body naturally is meant to be, just like some people are smaller than their body is naturally meant to be. And I think that is an eating issue, not a weight issue, and or it's a hormone issue, not a weight issue. Again, their weight might just be the symptom. And so it's weight change that we dietitians actually care about. Not what is someone's weight compared to a chart, not what is someone's weight compared to every other person, but what is someone's weight compared to themselves? And if someone dramatically gains or loses weight compared to themselves... That's what we care about. And that may be an indication of an underlying problem. Problem is an eating disorder. It could be stress eating. It could be polycystic ovary syndrome. It could be a hormone problem. There could be so many things that cause someone to have a change in weight. So I'm not saying weight isn't a factor in life, but... It can't be the thing that we say, oh, well, your weight caused your polycystic ovary syndrome. Your weight caused your hormone problems. Your weight caused all these problems when really the weight is the result of these other issues that need to be dealt with. So I'm all for people getting eating disorder treatment and I'm all for people getting hormone treatment. And if it results in a weight change because they're treated appropriately, I'm not against anyone getting healthy. But to say, oh, well, their body shrunk, so that's the success gauge that we're going to use. And by the way, we're going to try to shrink bodies when there's nothing medically wrong with them at all. We're just going to try to shrink them just for the sake of not being big because shrinking is better. These are the dilemmas. And I don't object to anyone who, let's say, does the things medically or behaviorally or emotionally or psychologically that make them a healthier person, and they happen to lose weight as an outcome of that. I don't object to that. And there are people who will say, well, you know, you're a dietitian. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say it's okay for people to lose weight. I don't care what people weigh. That's the thing. I don't care if people gain weight or lose weight. (laughs) I care if they're doing what they need to do. I don't even care if they do what they need to do. I care if they come to me and ask me for help, then I'm happy to help them. I'll say it that way. Every size is a principle is about people getting healthy advice healthy medical care, doing healthy things regardless of their size, not doing those healthy things just so that they can shrink. And that's where the difference is for me, what, where the rubber meets the road is, is did you happen to shrink because you were doing appropriate healthy things? Fine. Maybe not fine. Maybe you're like, now I have to buy new clothes and I can't afford it. There's probably you know negatives to that too. But is it a matter of I'm going to do unhealthy things in order to shrink or I did healthy things and then as an outcome, I shrunk? That's a huge difference to me. Right.
0: So yeah, looking what's going on under the surface as opposed to just what the bodies look like. Yes, clearly. Yes. Yeah, I also think that, and this is something that I don't think people do intentionally, but the community that we're in, sometimes people like to stay away from weight completely. Mm -hmm. Like weight doesn't matter whatsoever. And I don't necessarily even know if that's completely helpful because weight could be maybe a sliver of the pie in just sort of like indicating like what's going on. For example, if there's a hormone issue and someone weight compared to themselves goes up, there is something going on and we need to figure out what's going on.
1: Agreed. Weight change is very important. Yes. Weight change is absolutely important. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's more of
0: information yes. gathering and that if there's something that's significant to pay attention yes. to it, but that's sort of yes, it. Yes,
1: because weight change could even suggest, it could indicate fluid retention. It could indicate a kidney problem. It could indicate edema, right? There It could indicate congestive heart failure, right? Weight change is not necessarily measuring body fat mass. And that's what we equate it mm-hmm. to, I think, as humans is we're like, oh, my weight went up. I gained fat. My weight went down. I lost fat. And I mean, kids are supposed to gain like 40 pounds during puberty and you know, that's normal, but we just think 40 pounds, if I gained 40 pounds, but you're like <laughs> a grown up adult. And yes, if you gained 40 pounds, we would want to see what on earth is going on. But for a child to gain 40 pounds is completely normal. It's not something that should result in getting shrunken.
0: Yeah. I also, the where my brain is going now is I'm wondering, how does this affect people's, I want to say, trust, for lack of a better term, in the medical community if they're putting out information like this and then their doctor hopefully isn't delivering this information? Oh, wow.
1: That trust is already gone. I think that people, you know, are really distrustful and this is not going to help because, I mean, when I first realized that when a doctor gives you advice, they're giving you their opinion. That was shocking to me. Like, I really grew up thinking doctors have the answers. And then when a doctor told me one thing and I went to get a second opinion and that doctor told me something different, I thought, what am I supposed to do? Just keep going to doctors until I have, you know, one of the, the, you know, recommendations outweighs the other. And I mean, that's the whole word, second opinion or a whole phrase, right? Is the idea that it's an opinion. That's so shocking. And so I think the good part about that is if someone hears from a doctor something that just they don't agree with or doesn't sound right, absolutely, you have a right to get a second opinion. But yes, I I agree. I think that this is going to continue to erode people's trust that doctors have their best interest at heart.
0: Which is so sad in and of
1: itself. Yes, because a doctor can be a very important advocate for, you know, a child's health in a family and, you know, but it has to be the right fit. But I think a lot of people don't think that they think, how do I find a doctor that's on my insurance plan or my insurance plan change? How do I find a new doctor? instead of how do I find a doctor that is weight inclusive? And, uh, you know, going back to what you said to me, you know, there's different wording people use, but like weight neutral, I think is the idea that someone's weight is irrelevant, right? I'm going to treat this person's medical condition and their weight is irrelevant, but I prefer the term weight inclusive because meaning your weight is a part of what makes you, you. And it's one of the factors that we will consider, but all weights are, you know, it's weight inclusive, I'll say, instead of, you know, weight discriminating or weight stigmatizing.
0: Yes. Which we do have a long way to go, sadly, in terms of Mm -hmm. the medical community and finding providers Mm -hmm. like that, but one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes.
1: But yes. But if you're looking for a new doctor, what you want to be asking is, does this doctor work from a weight inclusive standpoint? I have a bigger kid I don't want to come in there to this pediatrician's office and be told my kid needs to lose weight. That's just zero. You know, it's a non-starter from the very beginning. So I'd just like to know before we make an appointment, is that something that this doctor focuses on? Because I'm looking for a doctor who practices in a weight-inclusive manner. That's helpful.
0: Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to say, share about the guidelines that we haven't said?
1: I would just like to say that. I guess, repeat that I think there are a lot of pediatricians that don't care about the guidelines that are not going to follow what their professional organization said and that are going to do really good care. And at the same way that I, as a dietitian, wouldn't want to sort of be painted with the same brush of like, oh, that organization put out those yuck guidelines. I, I don't want to do that to all pediatricians and make it sound like all pediatricians are going to follow these ridiculous guidelines. I think that's just not true. And so I just want to stand up for pediatricians who are going to provide weight-inclusive care to kids.
0: Yes, that is an important point. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So before I let you go now, can you share with our listeners where they can find you if they haven't already found you till now?
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. I am on Facebook as Jessica Setnick and I am on Instagram as Understanding Nutrition. You're also welcome to go to jessicasetnick.com, which is my website. And I would welcome any inquiries if you are trying to find a dietitian. I run a nonprofit called the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians. And you are welcome to get in touch with me and I will help you find someone in your area.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You made it to the end thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.